Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Amen. Again, thanks for coming out today, guys. Glad to see everybody uh, here in church this morning. A little rainy, a little wet, but we're glad for the rain, especially to get ready to go into the summer. Uh, But again, thanks for taking the time. Here's what we know. God knew you were coming, and he's got something great for you. He's already been working on you. If you let him through the time of praise and worship and open your heart up for the word, uh, what we believe at Tree Life, God is not a forcer. He is a filler. So you determine when you leave how much of God that you uh, allowed yourself to receive. He always wants to fill you up overflowing. So open up, receive all he's got for you. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus 6. We uh, had Easter Sunday last Sunday, but we really kicked off a series. And so I wanted to take some four core promises in the scripture and they're associated with the Passover or Easter. As the Jewish people call it the Passover. We celebrate it as Easter. And the story of their coming out of bondage or out of Egypt or captivity really is, again, a death, burial, and resurrection story. Coming out of bondage. And, and, and the promises that we see that, that God made over 3,500 years ago that we pulled out of that story in Exodus, we'll look at it again today, are made possible because of the work of Jesus. And that's what we celebrated and we continue to celebrate that really every day of our life. That freedom comes because Jesus went to the grave and rose again. And so it is a fulfillment of the promise of God that lets us know we can trust him. And so those are still available for you and I today. We tackled the first promise, which really represents what we see through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, Egypt is, in the scripture, a type of the world. And so when you see the people coming out of captivity and bondage, it represents to you and I that God wants to bring you out. He wants to bring you out of that place of captivity, slavery, or bondage of this world or this worldly mindset. He wants to set you free. That's what he's there, to give you a new life, a new opportunity. And so uh, we see that in the story here in Exodus, the four promises that lead up to, in fact, the story leads up to rather the Exodus or the, or the people leaving that place of, of bondage. And it's really the origins of, of Easter and Passover. So some great things in there. But as I said, we were going to study the four core promises. We're going to tackle two today, and then our last one we'll look at next week. And so I want you to come on back to be a part of that for sure. And so they're really, when when they're still celebrated today, as the Jewish people will, they'll celebrate Passover, they'll be reminded of, or they'll talk about, or really celebrate the four I wills, is what they call them, what God says, I will. And that is God making a promise. Let's dive right in in Exodus 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Let's take a look at the promises here. Verse six says this, therefore say to the Israelites, this is God speaking to Moses, tell the people, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. There's the first promise. God says, I will. How many guys know God always keeps his promises and you can trust him? I mean, you can trust him. If God says, I will, then he will back up his word. So he says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Again, representing slavery, bondage, however you want to say that. He's going to bring you out from your current condition, the conditions of this world. He's trying to free us from those things. He wants basically to save you. Uh, promise number two, he goes on to say this then, and then in the next phrase, he goes to say this, I will, here's his promise again, I will free you from being slaves to them. Now, we're going to talk about this today, but that where it says free you, it almost sounds like the same as I will bring you out, but it's not. It sounds redundant, but it's not. There's two separate meetings there, but what he's saying is after he gets you out of Egypt, he wants to get Egypt out of you, <laughs> right? 
And that's a big deal. I was reading, uh, well, I saw a, a post on Facebook the other day. It was a t-shirt and it said this, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. <laughs> right? And just so you know, I didn't buy it. <laughs> and, uh, but you guys know that when you're saved, right, there's still a little bit of the world to be gotten out of you. And, and maybe more for some and don't look at your neighbor, but nonetheless, there's some of us still a little bit more Egypt to get out than others. But, and that's the freedom part that he's talking about. That's for you and I after after salvation, but really what he's saying is, even though you're no longer a slave, sometimes you still think like a slave, you still act like a slave. Uh, the stuff's still telling you how to live your life or that has power over you, even though you don't have a master anymore, if you will, you're acting like you do. So there's still some things that need to happen in us after our salvation experience or after our saving. He goes on to say this, and I will redeem you. I will, his promise, redeem you. We're gonna use the word restore. I'll explain that in a moment. We're gonna tackle this, this one as well. And then he says how he's gonna do that. The only promise he says how he will do it with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then, so he goes on to say this. Uh, the next one would be, I will, here's the promise, I will take you. Now notice that all the promises to this point, he's saying you, you, and you. Then he says, I will take you as my own people. Now he groups us together. And so he has a, a people for you to do life with so you can do great things. And so basically you can change the world and do something greater than your individual self. So the first three promises are you, you, and you. And the last one, which we'll talk about next week, he talks about placing us with a body of people, a group of believers, a community, if you will, to do greater things than we can by our individual selves. Really excited about that one. So come back and be a part of that. And he says, I'll be your God. And then he says this, then, say then, then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. And let me say it this way. When you walk in the revelation or you embrace and walk in the promises, the four core promises, you experience God as he intended. I mean, it's important for us to understand the promises so we can have the freedom and, and the salvation, the freedom, the restoration, and then fulfillment by working together to help other people. But that's how we experience God to the full. Well, maybe we could say it this way, then and only then will you understand God in his fullness. And that's what we really want, isn't it? That's what we want out of him. And therefore, that's when we walk in the fullness of what he has for us in life. And so we're gonna uh, talk about the middle two this week, uh, two and three. I'll, I will bring you... Uh, out was the first one. I will free you and then I will redeem you. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let me say it this way. The four promises in my words are this. He promises to save you. He promises to free you. He promises to restore you and he promises to fulfill you. But in order, in order to understand the next couple promises, let me draw a great distinction between the first and the other two, really the other three, but the two we're studying today. And really the first one stands alone. I mean, it's what we talked about last week and you can go back and get that. But let me tell you the distinction between the first and second promise. Promise one, I'll bring you out is completely based on God. It's what God has done for you and I. It's God's free gift. And in fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it this way, New Living Translation, here's what it says. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And we're thankful he saved us by his grace when we what? What's the condition to our salvation? Believing. I don't know why people can talk about you have to get cleaned up, you have to earn it, you have to do this. I'll come to God when I, start, when I live right first or I gotta get things in order. Why? That's not his stipulation. Salvation comes from believing. I don't know why man makes salvation so complicated. Maybe because man makes, wants to make themselves look important. 
(laughs) I don't care how I look. I just want to believe what God said to be true and experience all he has for me. So basically for you and I, we don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do this or do that. We simply have to or need to believe. He says, because he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And, And then we'll talk about Uh, promise too. Then we'll talk about doing some other things to get life cleaned up. But you come just as you are and all your faults and mistakes. The only requirement needed to come to salvation or to let God save you is just believing he is who he is. And he says, he'll do what he says he'll do. And you can't take credit for this. What's that next phrase? It is a gift from God. Amen. No man can take credit for their own salvation. It comes only as a free gift. And the only requirement is for you and I to believe. All you had to do is believe it is a gift from God. Again, you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to get yourself together. You don't have to earn it. You don't even have to change to get saved. You just have to surrender your life to him. A free gift, no works. And it says this, that it erases everything in your past and gives you a clean slate so you can begin now, now we'll understand promise two, so now you can begin a process of change. Why? Because he gave you a clean slate. He erased your past. He saved you, so now you can work on the things that need to change in your life. Promise number two is the changing part, and that comes after salvation. Let's take a look at Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Here's what it says. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, It is even more important. Now listen to those next two words. Work hard. Say work hard. Guess what? That's your part. He did his part. He saved you when you believed. Now the process of change begins. Promise number two, to get the Egypt out of you. There's some things that you need to do. You're going to have to work to show the results. Here we go. Show the results of your salvation, of what already happened. Now works kicks in, of what already happened. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you Now, here's what he's doing, giving you the desire and the power, hold on to desire and power, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. So don't work hard to get saved, just believe, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now, it seems like, well, that's great, but that's pretty difficult. I mean, come on, it sounds like God set you up for failure. Understand God only set you up for success. So if he's asking you to do something, he's going to even tell you, you know, he says, you know, choose life or death, but choose life. I mean, guys wish you had those kind of tests in, in high school, right? I'd have made better grades. And so he's saying like this, he's telling you, here's what you're going to need to do. And then it seems impossible. How do I get Egypt out of me? He says this, after you're saved, I'm going to give you different desires. Really, God? Because that would be awesome. Because I'm still having all those, I'm still thinking, I'm still have all those worldly thoughts. I'm still living in the same environment, temptations abound, the same group of people. And I, I just believe you, so you're going to change my desires. He says, I'm going to give you new desires. And then he also goes on to say this, and he goes, I'm going to give you then the power The Holy Spirit power, come on, the Holy Spirit power to walk out a victorious life. He gives you different desires and the power to do it. Come on, how good is God? That sounds like a big thing, God. I don't know if I can do that. That's why sometimes when you see people and they may have been, uh, I don't know, struggling with an addiction or something all the days of their life and and all of a sudden they, 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 they experience the saving power of God and then a desire changes. I mean, you've heard stories that have been People have been alcoholics or addicted to cigarettes or whatever, and they get saved, or they walk in that freeing revelation of God, they grab a hold of this promise too, and all of a sudden, God just took that desire away. Now, for some people, it's a process, and that's okay because the Holy Spirit powers and enables you to walk that out, right? Amen. For some people, it just immediately is gone. 
And so God gives us new desires, thankful for that, and the power to live differently. But there's things that we need to do and to be about. God wants to begin changing you, and there's some, but some things you'll need to work at. Salvation happens in a moment, in an instant, promise one. Promise two, it's a process. So God's gonna work in you to do two things, give you new desires, and to give you power to do it. And he'll begin to do that when you get that clean slate after promise one. And it gives you desires and the power for promise two, to do godly things, but you're gonna have to do it. And that's really what promise two is all about. Uh, So let me explain how this works. How does promise two work? And so you have to understand this to understand promise two, that you are a triune being. There's three parts to you, a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. And we're the only things in creation that have all three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And so in order to understand promise two, let's take a look at it. You have a body, that's the physical part of you. It's the part we see, and the body has issues. It does. All our bodies have issues. Uh, mine wants to eat all the time. I mean, I, I love it, right? I'm, I'm thinking in praise and worship. I'm entering praise and worship and, you know, thanking God, Jesus' name above all names. I look at my, hey, where are we going to eat? <laughs> right? I mean, we all have issues. That's just what we have. Some want to sleep all the time. That's not my issue, but some of you sleep all the time, right? It's like, I want to go home. I want to go to bed. I'm going to take, take a nap. I hear you, but sleep all the time. Cravings, appetites, addictions, lusts things that make it feel good. That's your body. And listen, it is not good for your body to be in charge. You don't want your body to be in charge. Then you have a soul, the second part to each and every one of us, the soul. It's your mind, will, and emotions. Hey, it's not good to, be, to, to live life being controlled by your emotions. Talk about wrecking your life and roller coaster ride. It's up and down because it's based on circumstances and other people and things turning out the way you want or desired or thought. You have feelings and emotions. Wills, your own free will. Yeah, thoughts. You don't want your soul directing your life, and too many of us live that way. And then the final part of us, which separates us from the rest of creation, is our spirit man. We are a spirit, and that's the part of us that is like God. And again, we're the only part of creation that has a spirit. It's a part of us that's like God. In fact, Genesis says that he made us in his own image. Now, I don't know what you think the physical image of God looks like, but I bet it's not sitting in here, all right? I mean, we know the presence and power of God's in here. But we're all created in the image of God when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that means we have the capacity for God. It's the only part of creation that has the capacity for God. That's what sets us apart from everything else. You have a spirit like God in you, and this part of you is the part that lives forever. And you have the capacity for God in your spirit. So when you got saved, now listen to me, because you need to understand this. When you got saved, your spirit part of you got clean. Your spirit part, in other words, was made to look like God. Or, let me say it this way. Wouldn't it be fair to say it this way? Your spirit was made perfect. Is God not perfect? My spirit man was made clean in the image of God, so my spirit man was made perfect. My spirit doesn't sin, and it wants to communicate with God all the time. But you know what part of me sins? My body and my soul, and it's a battle. And they gang up on my spirit man. So we get saved and our spirit man's made perfect. We have the capacity for the fullness of God in us. And now we're in a battle. And so what we're doing is we're fighting for freedom, if you will. We need to do things that empower our spirit man, which will enable us to walk more free. Do you get that? Okay? We need to do things that will make our spirit man stronger. And the more strong or the stronger your spirit man is, the more freedom you will walk in. 
And that's not deep revelation, that just makes sense. Because then if our spirit man is stronger, then our spirit man will influence our body and our soul instead of the other way around. So if your spirit man's stronger, you will walk in more freedom and you will walk in the promise of God. And the thing about it is he enabled us through the first promise to be able to have a new start and to have greater freedom to be able to deal with the issues of life, the baggage, the past, whatever that looks like for you and I. And we all have issues. And let me say this way, your body and your soul has issues. And if you don't think so, that's your issue. And I'll be happy to pray for you afterwards, right? Because here, understand this. Hey, listen, your body hates your soul and it hates your spirit, man. And that's why we have people just uh, uh, abuse our body. Our body just does things, lusts and addictions and desires. And it doesn't care what the soul thinks. And you know, you've been there. You've done something that's been pleasing to your body. And then all of a sudden your emotions say, man, why'd you do that? I feel so bad now. I feel so guilty. I can't believe we did that. Because your body doesn't care what your soul thinks, much less your spirit. And then your soul, your soul doesn't care what your spirit and your body thinks. That's why when we get in places, our soul will do things that, like, uh, I'm a comfort eater, <laughs> right? So if I'm feeling bad or feeling down, guess what? I want to eat. My soul doesn't care what my body thinks, unless it's taken on a more real level, perhaps. That's why we have a problem with teenagers, in particular, probably teenage girls that have low self-esteem issues. Their soul is such a place, they'll hurt their bodies. They'll cut themselves. That's why we see suicides. That's why we see so much things, so many times we'll hurt our bodies and drive our bodies to destruction because our soul's dominating. So our soul doesn't care. So that's why we have to build our spirit, man, amen? We can't be body controlled or, or soul controlled. And so our way to freedom, to walk in the promise of God, he made a way by making our spirit man have the capacity for God in his fullness and perfect. But if we'll build that spirit man and make it stronger, it will influence the other two and we'll walk in more freedom because of it. So that's what we have to understand. Jesus pays for your sins to make your spirit man have the ability, if you will work with it, to influence the other two. And, and we still have to fight that fight, if you will. So let me give you three things or three focuses of promise two. So let's take a look at these. Number one, promise two comes from victory over sin. It focuses on victory over sin. Now understand that sin is the stuff you do to yourself. Let's just say it that way. Sin is the stuff you do to yourself. Victory over sin or victory over you making bad decisions over the decisions you're making that are harmful to you. See, that means this, that it didn't need a devil. Sometimes the devil gets a lot of credit or blame for a lot of stuff. He has no part in. You just do stuff, right? Your body or your soul was there and you listen to it. And so you, you make decisions that were bad or harmful to you. And there you go. You just made bad choices. And so, and we all struggle there. In fact, the apostle Paul struggled with it and we're in good company. He says this, Romans 7, 21 through 25. Here's what he says. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil, my body and soul are, is right there with me. Can't get away from them. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In my spirit, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of the sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. He doesn't like it any more than we do. He has the same struggles. It's like looking in the mirror. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you acted that way. Who will rescue me? Here's the big question. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. The freedom that comes. See, none of these promises are possible without what Jesus did. He's in the, middle of, or in the midst of all of them. 
So thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So even Paul's talking about here the struggle. Evil's right there with me. I'm constantly contending with my body and my soul, but my inner being, I delight in God's law, my spirit, there's the battle. Second focus of, of promise two is this, healing from wounds. Healing from wounds. So if sin is what you do to yourself, wounds is defined as what others do to you. It wasn't my fault. Someone hurt me. Someone hurt you. Somebody abused you. Someone disappointed you or let you down. There's a tragedy in life, a diagnosis, an accident, a death. And now you're hurt and you didn't ask for this. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, New Living Translation says this. And don't sin by letting anger control you, your emotions. Don't let your emotions be in control because of those things, because of your wounds that you didn't have anything to do with. Don't let the sun go down while you're so angry. Deal with it, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger, being led by your emotions, gives the enemy opportunity to come into your life. At some point, we gotta walk in some forgiveness. That's why promise two is so important, and it's possible because we had a clean slate. We had a perfect spirit man. So we got to learn to build our spirit man so it influences our body and our soul. If not, then we do have those struggles and we're in bondage. And so promise two is to help you let go of your past. Okay, the last one, uh, the third focus is authority over the enemy. So you need to take care of your sin. You need to take care of sin people do to you. And you have a devil that hates you. And I don't know if you think that's real or not. And I don't know what your thought is. Oh, that's just kind of some mumbo jumbo, some kind of myth or what preachers say. But my Bible says the enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. My Bible says that he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. My Bible says he hates me and everything about me and wants to bring death and destruction in my life. Hey, listen, I don't care what you think. The reality is there is a real devil trying to tear you up and mess with your life. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, amen? So you need to learn. So we need to learn. This second promise needs to help us walk in authority over the enemy. We take care of our sin, we take care of our wounds, and we walk in authority over the enemy. It's important for us to do that. Those are things that we need to do. We need to work on. At some point, you need to learn to take authority over the devil. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's out there trying to scheme how to take you out. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. It is a real battle. So how do I find freedom? How do I walk in this second promise? Let's take a look real quick. Romans 8. One through two, New Living Translation. I hope you're taking some notes. You can go back and listen to this. I'm giving you a lot of information, but this will help you understand and give you the ability to walk this out. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Understand, condemnation is of the enemy, of the devil. The devil will come in and condemn you and say, you know what, you may be saved, but where you are right now, you're not gonna get any farther than this. This is just how it's gonna be. Just be thankful you're going to heaven one day. But as far as the rest of your life, nothing's gonna happen. Now, condemnation is from the enemy, and the the Bible says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit will come and convict us and say, yeah, you got saved, praise the Lord, and here you are in this place, that's true, but here's the way out. Now, because you got a clean slate, you can live a better life. God promised you that you could if you'll do these things, so understand that. So that's important, and it goes on to say this, 
And because you belong to him, the power of of the life-giving spirit has freed you. There's our second promise, brought freedom to you from the power of sin that leads to death. Amen. If you want to walk in promise too, you have to get this and walk away from the past. Walk away from condemnation. Let me tell you this. You need to learn to walk away from guilt and shame. That was taken care of in promise number one. Come on. He took that, saved you, wiped that slate clean. He's taken that. He's paid for that price. So walk away from guilt and shame. Walk free from that. And understand, again, we all have issues. There's no condemnation here. It goes on to say this in Romans 8, 5, and 6. It goes to say this. Those who are dominated, now listen to this, those who are dominated by the sinful nature. Now that sounds funny. We're talking promise two. Promise one is setting us free and giving us, uh, saving us, giving us a clean slate. But how many of you guys know there's still people, and even we at times, as Christians, having experienced promise number one, there's still times that we are dominated by our sinful nature. We allow ourselves to be dominated by the sinful nature. We know Christians that are going to heaven, but they're living like hell. Or their life is like that. I'm not saying that's what they want or that's what they intend, but they're not walking in the freedom that promise two brings that God said is ours. And so we know people, and we've been there, that we've been free and planning, or we've been saved and going to heaven, but we're still being dominated or having a master when we don't have a master, submitting to one of sinful nature in our life. Listen to this. Think about sinful things. Let me start again. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. What's the key word there? Think. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to go on a little farther. Listen to this. So letting your sinful nature control your what? Mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your what? Mind, because it's where you think, leads to life and peace. So therefore, can we not say that the key to our freedom is how we're thinking, right? It's how you think in your heart. So are you, the Bible says. And that's really our battle, that we have been saved and cleansed with a free start, but we got to get Egypt out of us, and it's all about how we think about all that. And how we think about all that will be dependent upon are we building our spirit man to influence our body and soul or allowing our body and soul to dominate our spirit man. It will control the way you think. So it identifies the problem with walking in promise number two. So what are you thinking about? It says, I have to think about some new things. And he gives us new desires and the power to do that. How do I do that? What influences what I think about the most? What in your life then influences what you think about the most? Well, let me say this. I believe from my experiences as pastor, my own personal life, I I believe what influences what we think about the most are our relationships, right? I mean, is not your relationships what formulate how you think, act, I mean, don't we say this all the time? If you have kids, I say this all the time. Even with adults, it's true. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because your friends will influence the way you think. I don't want you hanging out with them. They're not bad people. They don't think like we think. We're not better or worse, but we have a different set of values. Where'd that come from? What are you thinking about that for? Where'd that come from? We don't think that way here. And even in our relationships, those that we associate with, if we hang out with them long enough, the way that they think will influence what we think about, and that will influence the freedom that we walk in or don't walk in. That's what the Bible's saying. So the key to that is relationships. Relationships are the key. You want to walk in the second promise of freedom? Relationships are the key. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. Whoever conceals their sins do not prosper. Now, hold on a second. Can we conceal our sins from God? 
No, no, he knows everything. We like to think that we can, but God knows everything. So this is not about revealing your sin to God. He sees it. So this, isn't, this is about relationships here. So whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We know we've already been forgiven and need to be quick to repent. But again, I don't believe this is talking about you and God. I believe this is talking about relationships. Now, let me say this. You don't confess everything to just anybody, right? That's why you have to have a close association of godly people. So let's go on to the next verse. What's the next passage, guys? James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Come on, that's with other people. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. When does the healing start? Healing your wounds? When you're engaged with other people, right? That's what it says. Well, I confess my sins to God. I ask God to forgive me. That's great. But what did he set up for the healing process? You interacting with other people. Come on. Why? Because that will help you walk in the freedom you have. Listen, I I believe that there's just some freedom we just cannot walk in without the other people in our lives. And God set it up that way. People need you in their life so you can help them walk in freedom. You need others in your life to walk in freedom. You want to fulfill the second promise that's yours of finding that freedom that God has to get the Egypt out of you? It's going to take life-giving relationships. People you do life with, you need to be very selective on your associations. Amen? And some of us aren't. And that's a big deal. Some of us are in bondage still, even though you're saved and going to heaven, because of the associations that we have in life, because it's affecting the way we think. It's influencing us differently than the word of God. I need right associations in my life if I'm going to walk in promise number two. The right associations help strengthen you spiritually. And when you do this, you grow and you change. Iron sharpens irons. It's a biblical principle. That's why, and listen to me. That's why we say all the time, not just because I'm a pastor, I say that and that's what you do. That's why we say all the time, be consistent in your attendance. Why? Because you keep sitting in the same places. I know when you're here and not here after a few weeks, I know where you sit, right? But what that means is so do the people around about you. Do you even know the names of the people you sit with every week? Be consistent in your attendance. Join a a small group or a life group. Not so we can say we have X number of people in a life group so that you can create some godly associations to help you walk in the freedom that God has for you that he promised. Uh, Go to a class, go to an event, serve somewhere, go to Married for Life, hang out in the gathering place. Don't just come and go. Meet some people, get an accountability partner, participate in the growth track. It doesn't work by yourself. You won't experience the freedom God intended or promised to to the full until you engage with other people in your life that will help the way you think. Stay on track and build your spirit, man. Promise number two. All right, promise number three. At the same time, because these really go together. At the same time, God promised to redeem you. I will redeem you or I'll restore you to your original intent. That's what it says in Exodus 6.6. And and it goes on to say this. If we can go ahead and pull that scripture up. Let's go ahead. I'm sorry. Let's go ahead and verse seven. Really, it's verse seven. I will free you from being slaves to them. And listen to this. And I will redeem you. The only promise that tells you how with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I'll redeem you with outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. Promise three, promise of restoration. God wants to put you back to your original intent because he has a plan for your life. It's never changed. Uh, Okay, the word redeem, let's take a look at it. Let me give you three definitions from Webster's from redeem. Number one is this redeem means to buy back or repurchase. So God makes you, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, God makes you, Then you belong to somebody else on the earth, the God of this world, little g, because Adam gave that authority away. 
And then you're bought back with a price repurchased by the blood of Jesus, amen? Jesus died, the perfect sacrifice, we just celebrated it this weekend with the Good Friday, the perfect sacrifice to purchase you back, repurchase you. He paid the price, his blood, amen? And we are thankful for that. So redeem means to be to buy back or repurchase. Another definition of redeem, to change for the better or to reform. To change for the better or to reform. And this means to me that so many of us have our goals set way too low. It's like in looking Instead of looking to do good or to do great, we're looking just not to do bad. We should have higher aspirations than that, amen? Because who we are. We shouldn't just walk through life just to survive or get by or take up our share of food, water, and air. God intended for greater things for you and I. Don't settle for just not being bad, but go for a better life. Go for the best life. Go for the life that you're fulfilling everything God has called you to do to fulfill. God wants to reform you into this beautiful thing, what he always intended for you for the beginning of time. Let me give you one more definition. Here's our working definition this morning. Redeem means to repair or to restore. And it's like this. It's like those that, and I love going and seeing all this, and I watched a show on it last night. It's like those that go buy the classic car, the old car from like the 1920s, 30s, or 40s, or 50s, or whatever it is. They go back and get it, and they put a lot of work in it, and they restore it. They restore it back to its original intent, but when they restore it back to its original intent, it always has greater value than when they purchased it. I mean, I was watching the show, and I was amazed at what they bought some of these cars for, maybe like hundreds of dollars back when it came off the line, or maybe even a couple thousand, but now they're selling them for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And is it good to know that when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and he restores you back, listen, you are priceless. You have a greater value than you ever knew or that you ever experienced in life. You're priceless to God. That's what he wants. That's what promise three is. I want to restore you back to your original intent. You are priceless. So let's ask the question. Why, do, why does he have an outstretched arm? Because remember, it says I'll redeem you in two ways. An outstretched arm. And I want you to see this. When we're talking about that. I want you to picture this in your mind. See God with an outstretched arm leaning down to grab you. And here's why I think that that picture is so powerful. And that's why I believe it says this in Exodus, God with an outstretched arm, outstretched reaching down to you and I, because I believe God has to reach down to you and I because we don't see ourselves as valuable to God. But God in his infinite love will reach down and grab you wherever you're at to pull you up with him, amen? He'll stoop down and grab you and pull you up. He'll reach down. The Bible even says, I believe in Psalms, that he reached down to the miry pit and set my, reached down and grabbed me and set my feet upon a rock. Pull me out of that miry clay, reach down and set my foot upon a rock. I believe God will reach down wherever you are in life. I think why does God have to have an outstretched arm? I think it's because most of us are in a place much lower than how God sees us. I think most of us live much lower than how God sees us. So God sees us and he says, that's not what I see. I don't see you down there in that place. I'm gonna pull you up. I'm gonna reach down and pull you up. Most of us don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We see ourselves lost. We see ourselves broken. We see ourselves low. We see ourselves as unworthy, nothing to work with. And here's the problem. And write this word down, inferiority. We have an inferiority complex. We don't see ourselves the way we should see ourselves. We don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We don't see the greatness God sees in us. Have you ever heard someone say, well, we're just pitiful. We're just uh, uh, miserable, awful, wretched sinners. And that's true. 
until the time you meet God. And he doesn't want you to maintain that view any longer. You're a son and daughter of the King of Kings. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ, seated in heavenly places, and he'll reach down to pull you up, to put you in that place. You need to learn to see yourself as God sees you. Why? Because he has an outstretched arm wherever you're at, reaching to pull you up to see, so you can see yourself the way he sees you. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and I'm seated with him in heavenly places, the Bible says. So he reaches down and pulls us up. Psalms 18.35 says this. You give me your shield of victory, and at your right hand, your right hand sustains me. Now listen to this last phrase. You stoop down to make me great. Wherever you are, however you see yourself, God will stoop down to make you great. So you'll learn to see yourself the way he sees you. Because he loves you so much. I love that about God. He sees greatness in you. He sees the things in you that he always intended. He sees things in you you don't even see in yourself. He wants to reach down and lift you up out of this. That's why promise two is so huge. Because if you're living and seeing yourself through the guilt and shame of the past, you won't see yourself the way God sees you. That's why you need to get it together in promise two. That's why you need to do the things through your relationships that will help you find freedom so you can see yourself the way God sees you. That's just a lie of the enemy. Too often we still see ourselves with the shame of the past and we keep looking in the rearview mirror. We don't see what God wants to do with us, but we see what happened in the past. Just today, when you came to service, you came to service to worship God. I don't know what brought you here, but just today when you walked in, and as soon as you sit in praise and worship and, and maybe you opened your mouth to sing or maybe when you raised your hand, immediately the enemy would say, why are you doing that? Remember what you did last night? Don't you remember what you did this week? What you looked at, what you talked about, how you treated people. Don't you remember why the enemy wants to condemn you? He wants you to see yourself lower than God sees you. He keeps you inferior. He keeps you from seeing yourself the way God sees you. How does God see us? Ephesians 2.10, New Living Translation says it this way. For we are God's masterpiece. Amen, I love that. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, the work through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's all up in these promises so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. You need to see yourself the way God sees you. You know, I, my daughters, uh, they're back in the classes this morning now, but they're just 15 months apart, so there's a lot of interaction with them, a lot of tension at times, and they can bicker and fight like anybody can, and they love each other for sure, and I, and I see some of these sparring things or whatever, and as dad, I like to pull them aside afterwards, and we don't allow that. We talk about all that is, and my conversation, I've realized, has sometimes, most of the time, has gone like this. I know Callie will be frustrated with Camry and just be really angry with her, but here's what I want from Callie. I want Callie to see Camry the way I see Camry. And Camry will be frustrated with Callie and dad. She just this, all of this, all the time, this and that. And here's what I want from Camry. I want Camry to see Callie the way her daddy sees Callie, not the way that she sees it. Because her daddy has a different view of these girls. Come on, how much more a heavenly father? Our heavenly father wants you to see yourself the way he sees you, but he wants you to see others the way he sees them. He wants you to see others the way he sees them. I share, I've shared this before, as <laughs> like uh, driving. I just, I get frustrated at people that don't know how to drive. If everybody drove like me, it'd be a perfect world in driving, but uh, just, I'm still not getting a bumper sticker. But uh, it's just the driving thing. And, and my favorite word to use in, is knucklehead. And I don't know why, I just, I use that. That knucklehead, you see what the knucklehead did? I really took, God checked me one time and I said, man, that knucklehead, he cut me off. God checked me and said, hey, that's my knucklehead. <laughs> and I said, well, can you do something about him, please? Because he's all over the road. See him the way you see him. The devil wants us to see 
through his filter and not God's. I've shared this before, a story, it's a funny story about the, the, the man who walked into the pet shop and there's a big corner uh, cage in the corner with a parrot in it. And he's walking around, the parrot goes, hey, you. And the guy looks at it and says, me. And the parrot goes, yeah, you, come here. So the guy walks over to the cage and he's looking at the parrot and, and, the, and he says, what do you want? And the parrot says, you're the ugliest person on the planet. I've never seen anybody as ugly as you. And the man was offended. So he went to the owner and says, hey, I'm offended. I may not come back. That parrot just offended me. And so the owner went to the parrot cage, got the cage open, slapped the parrot around, pulled some feathers out and said, if you ever offend another one of my customers, I'm gonna, customers, I'm gonna cook you up and eat you. So the parrot's like, okay. So about a month later, the man goes back into the store and all of a sudden he's walking around and he says, hey, you. And it's a parrot calling him over me and he goes, yeah, you, come here. So the man walks over to the cage. What do you want? The parrot looks at him and goes, you know what? <laughs> you know You know what? I'm tired of the devil saying, hey, Don, what? You know what? I'm like, no, my past is gone. I mean, it's been clean. It's been taken care of by the blood of Jesus. And he'll go, you know what? And I'll say, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what. I've got a clean start. I know I'm building my spirit, man, and I'm walking in the freedom that only God can bring. And you know what? I know you what the devil will say to you. I don't see myself that way anymore. I see myself through the eyes of Jesus or the work of the cross and the resurrection. I see myself the way God sees me. I see greatness. I'm God's masterpiece. I'm not a failure. I'm not a mistake. I'm not a loser. I'm not any of those kind of things. I don't care how many you what's the devil has. When you walk in the revelation of these promises and you hold on to them, they're yours. God says they're yours. He redeems us. Here's the other part of that, with mighty acts of judgment. Well, who's he judging? Who's he performing his mighty acts of judgment against? Is it you? No. He's already judged the sin. His mighty acts of judgment are reserved for the enemy of your soul, the devil who keeps lying to you. Because understand, the devil has a plan for your life. God has a plan, the devil has a plan. Do you know how he keeps you from being redeemed or restored? Do you know how he keeps you from fulfilling the plan God has? He offers another plan. You need to write this word down, a diversion, a diversion. And it's the part of our story we're pretty sure God never planned, all right? Pretty sure God didn't plan it to work that way. That must have been my choices. I, somehow I got off track with God. That's why God says he wants to deal with the devil's plan for your life. So understand, you can get diverted with good things and bad things. You understand that even success, success can be a, a diversion, Good and bad can divert you. First Thessalonians 2.18 says this, New Living Translation, we wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. That word prevented in the Greek means this. He put something in the way to impede our progress. And so you and I would just go around it. We can go around it. We'll take another path. But you need to understand, we need to learn to take authority over that kind of stuff. Quit going around, stay on track, go right through. He can't touch you, but he can touch your path. And many times, instead of taking authority over him, we take another path. Romans 8, 28 says this, New Living Translation. And we know that God causes everything. Listen to scripture. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. A lot of people misuse the scripture, but let me tell you what this means in context of our message. You may be on a path God never intended, but guess what? He's got a path from that path will lead right where he wanted you to be. Amen. And here's what I wanna, how I want to illustrate that. If I needed to go to Dallas, I'd go right out the front doors. I'd get on I-35, straight shot to Dallas. Shortest, fastest way to get to Dallas. But how many of you guys know sometimes you just take some wrong turns, you get somewhere else. But you know what? If you went up and look up in Houston, you can still get to Dallas from Houston. It may have taken you a couple hours longer. 
That detour may have cost you a little bit of time, but guess what? There's a road from Houston to Dallas and God will show you how to get on it and how to get to where you need to be. I'm so thankful that God doesn't quit and give up on us. We've taken so many detours. We've taken so many wrong turns, but God says, that's okay. I've got a way from where you're at to get you where I want you to go. And we'll stay on path with God and allow him to to work in our life. But promise number three, he'll take us where we need to get. Love that about God. God can take any path you're on. Wherever you find yourself today, God can take you. But you don't know how many wrong turns I've taken. You don't know how far away I've driven from the plan and purpose of God. But the path that you're on right now, God can take you where you need to go. I love that about God. There is a road and God can still get you there. Romans eleven twenty nine. Message paraphrase says this, God's God's gifts and calls are under full warranty, never canceled and never rescinded. God never changes his mind about you. He always has a road from where you are to where he wants you to be. How does God get us on our pathway to purpose? How does God restore us to our original purpose? It's by helping you and I discover the spiritual gifts he's placed inside of us. So if God is going to restore us to our original purpose, that means he has gifts and things he's placed inside of us because he had a plan and purpose for us, things for us to do. Romans 12, 6 says this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Grace means charis or divine ability. You have the grace to do it. You have a divine ability to do what God has called you to do. God's gifted me in ways. He's gifted you in ways. Not everybody can get up and speak. Not everybody can get up and sing. Not everybody can do what you do. Some uh, great desire of some people is to help the poor. Some is to serve with kids. Some is to play music. Some is to do outreach. Some is to teach. Some is to lead. But it's not all of ours, but some of ours. So you have a divine ability to do something God gave you. And it helps you point to what you were created for. God put that in you. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says this, we are to eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. So go after that. Go after what God's created you to do. Go after to that leading in your heart. Go after that thing that, that makes you cry or makes you laugh or gives you fulfillment or gives you peace or really gets you excited. Go after those things. Those are given to you by God. When we do what we're created to do, there is no better feeling. So how do I walk? How do I walk in this promise of being restored to my original purpose? knowing that God who created me, created me with gifts and abilities to do something unique, something special. Well, here's how you do that. You discover your gifts and you use them. And here's where you start. You look at how God made you. We have classes like our growth track for that to help you, but you look at how God made you. I just described some of that to you. Understand this, that God made you for something. He didn't make you and then created something for you to do. I don't think we understand that. God had something on this earth for you to do and fulfill and accomplish, and then he put you here to do and accomplish that. I think we're just born into this world because our parents got together, and all of a sudden we're here, and okay, what do you got for me, God? And God's looking at things. Well, what do we need around here? Let's look and see. I don't know. This is a difficult one. Let's come back to him. Let's find something else to do, right? I mean, I think some of us live that way. I'm just trying to find, and God's trying to reveal. I understand trying to discover that, and we'll help you do that. But God wired you a certain way. When you discover what that is, you go for it. What does that mean then? Then you're going back to your original purpose and doing what he's always created you to do. Maybe other people have influenced us. Maybe other things that we've done. But I want you to know God has created you for something unique, something amazing. He, He made you with the ability to do something. Psalms 139, 13 through 14 says this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. 
Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex with a purpose and a destiny. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. And David is embracing who he was, that God has called him to be. Understand this, that design reveals destiny. How you're made points to what you are to do. You only find what you were created for when you connect with the one who created you. What am I speaking about? Relationship again? With whom? Your creator. See, you want to walk in the freedom, promise number two, that God provided for you. It's going to take you to have the right associations or the relationships in your life to connect with the right relationships in your life that will help you build your spirit, man, to overcome the bondage and things that still try and attach itself to you. You want to find yourself restored back to your original intent. It's going to cause you to press into a relationship with the one who created you because he knows best what he created you for. You're going to walk in the promise of number three. You need to press into the creator. Find out what you were created for. Then you're restored back to your original purpose and you'll find life never more fulfilling and you'll find it as God promised, him, promised you it would be. So you connect with other people to walk in promise number two that will help you become more spiritually strong. And then promise number three, you connect with the creator who created you to walk in your original purpose. God is a good and faithful God. I love these promises. God always holds up his end of the promise, but what are you willing to do? Surround yourself with the different associations that will help strengthen you spiritually and then connect yourself with the creator in a greater way to understand what he created you to do. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.